Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I hope you will go on Amazon and purchase the book or download it on Audible and listen to the book so you can get some more insight as to why I decided to start this podcast show a few years ago and continue the conversation. You're going to hear from professionals. You're going to hear from people with lived experience, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, You're going to listen to people that have recovered. Uh, You're going to hear resources about how you can navigate through this broken road to mental health and life in a business. And you will certainly be hearing me talk about the importance of having this discussion in business today. That is what I speak about at conferences, and I hope that you will take it seriously. We need to speak more about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please be sure to tell somebody you know that might be struggling to subscribe, to listen, to watch and share it with others. You are not alone on this broken road to mental health. All right, we're going to get this party started today, everybody, because uh, I will talk to this doctor, this friend for um, hours, and it will happen over coffee instead of on this show, because we have so much, I feel uh, synergistic and I'm so proud of the work that Dr. Torres has done. I'm going to get into introducing him in a minute, but I would like to take this opportunity to tell everybody that is on this broken road to mental health right along there with me that this would be a book that, you know, I recommend anybody that follows me or knows, I'd love to recommend books. And this book is called Keep Kicking Frisco, Keep Kicking, Letting Go of Fear, Anxiety, and Panic by Dr. Francisco Torres. And Dr. Torres is right here in my hood, which I couldn't be happier about. So let me first say welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. It's a a pleasure. Thank you for being here. I want to tell the audience before you and I get into it and and have a little framework before we get started that uh, Elena... Our friend from Valley Bank is responsible for this introduction. So thank you, Elena. Absolutely. And uh, she said, oh, this doctor, I've been working with doctors for so long. And I'm like, oh, my God, no, don't send me a doctor to help. You know, (laughs) that's how I felt because they all want me to help them with their businesses. And no, no, Sharon, I really think that you would like this doctor because he wrote he wrote this book and he talks about, you know, mental health. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I went on his website and I'm like, well, I don't know. Uh, what, what, where is that? Where are we talking about mental health? So I start digging and then I find out about your book. Keep kicking Frisco, keep kicking. And I just finished reading it. So hence why I'm so hyped up and excited to have the author on the show, because it was such an incredible book. So congratulations to you for putting this great work out into the world. Thank you so much. I'm really proud of it. Yeah, Thank you. As you should be. So there are not there are many doctors that I have known in my 25 plus career working uh, alongside of physicians, but there are hardly any that I know that have ever taken the risk and been courageous enough to put the story of their life out in book form. And um, I don't think that that's ever going to be, I'll ever be able to tell you how important that is. Um, enough because there are so many people that look at physicians today and think that you've never struggled with anything. Correct. Right. And Absolutely. you know this. Well, that's so, the reaction, Sharon, excuse me. It, that's the reaction I get every time a patient reads the book. You say, oh, I cannot imagine that you went through all that. Yeah, really? Because who, who would think that after all that you've accomplished? Exactly. So um, I'm going to let Dr. I swear, everybody, I'm going to let him talk. (laughs) This is why we have guests here. But I read this book and I have notes in it. I have sticky marks. I have smiley faces. I just finished it on the airplane um, to New York. But the first line I want to bring up that I want you to share about is right in the acknowledgments where your first sentence, you said writing a memoir was harder than I thought. So can you tell us why it was so hard? I think because you, you need to confront painful uh, memories, experiences, and then you realize that you were not a 
the the best person all the time. And um, again, I, I just felt like I, I was, I, I tend to, I, I like to color things. I, I don't like to dwell on the negative. I like to be more positive, but deep inside that just brought all of that negativity back alive. Things that happened that um, is interesting because talking to my, my brother and my sister, they do remember things, but not so vividly like me. And again, and I, I think I, I, I wrote a disclaimer. I don't know if I'm making this up, but this is the way I remember it. And I just gonna write it because exactly it, emotionally, that's the way I feel. And I think that I'm, it may be a gift that I have that because it happens all the time. I can remember things from patients they get surprised that I still remember something they told me 10 years ago. I may not remember their name, but I remember the, the emotion. So when I associate emotion, I, I tend to remember a lot. So again, the, the hard part was the painful ones and, and it was pretty painful to have to be, I admit. Yeah, well that, cause that line is the first thing I underlined because it is, and of course I identify with it writing my own. Um, it is, is very hard because you do have to relive a lot of the pain and the trauma. And um, most people are, are walking around this earth with a lot of it that never revisit it because yeah. they have succeeded or because they've gotten past it. And they fe- they say those things like, oh, that was in the past. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and you're supposed to just carry on and be resilient. Exactly. But the way that we um, are brought into this world is so important to understand all of the things that make us how we act in 2023 right, 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 right. but so, it's funny uh share another thing that i i learned from writing it uh that i oh, i think most of my life I, I have depended on books like i call it bibliotherapy i learn i have that ability to if i think about something all of a sudden the book comes to my hands and i start reading i was like okay i i understand now this so for me, uh, I remember meeting when I, with a therapist one time. I said, well, why don't you write what's bothering you? Write it down and burn it or dig, put it in a hole. But I said, for me, I need to put it out there that people can read it for, for be, to be effective. If I do what they're normally they tell you, just burn it. I don't think it will, do this, it will make the same um, uh, effect in my, in my life. So that's why one of the reasons I wanted to be sure that it was in print and the people could read it, it was just to help me therapeutically too. <laughs> Sure. Well, that's very interesting because, you know, in 12-step recovery work, the first time, and this has happened to many people that, you know, get sober or, you know, go away to get help, whatever it is, that they're they're encouraged to write their own story. And I was encouraged to write my own story when I was very young and then burn it. Yeah. And so then I learned later on that that's actually not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to burn the story. You're supposed exactly. to start seeing the patterns. Correct. Right. Like, okay, why did I do this? And then how can I make a change? Okay. So we're going to keep going into the book because otherwise we will be here for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) And don't worry, everybody. Dr. Torres is coming back to talk about this more. Um, This is just part one. So you have this wonderful forward in the book that uh, I shared with you that after I finished the book, I went back and read it again because it was so powerful when I read it the first time, but then I wanted to really see and feel how uh, how much courage that you had to write, to have your son write this, because I didn't even realize, like it says, Jordi Torres, and I'm <laughs> reading it. I don't even really see right away that like, this is your son, and he's telling this very um, emotional story. So what was, can you talk to us a little bit about the forward and, and having your son write it? Well, uh, it, it was also, again, a very difficult part because he never told me. Uh, he said, I'm going to write it. And I, you know me, trying to, oh, you need to talk about this. And they said, no, this, this is my forward. So he didn't give it to me until the end when we were ready to publish the book. And when I read that forward and realize how much damage, how much hurt I caused in his life. Yeah. It just it made me cry, to be honest with you. I, I really cried. Yeah. Because I until that time, I thought my son was a go-getter. He was perfectly fine. He never had an issue with me. 
And then when I see that, what he says, and and I realized that I was definitely, you know, we, I was writing, I, you know, at that time I was competing, I was doing before and after picture for this competition. It, something new for me because I, I trying to overcome my own um, uh, issues of inferiority and all the things. And so I made, I wanted to win. And, and so I thought that creating a story, again, it was a story about me trying to help my son, people will be moved and, and try to change. And then my son captured that. <laughs> it was interesting. But I, during that time, I, I never, ever thought that I was causing any harm to my son. Yeah, I want to really just stop with that for a minute, because that is, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, I also said in, in the end of my book, I when I recorded my book, I'm, I'm crying at the end because I talk about Cooper, my stepson. And I did not know I was going to be so overwhelmed with emotion. And I wanted to keep it in the book for that reason, because I wanted people to see how raw it is and how raw these feelings are when you, when you don't realize how much somebody is impacted by your life. um, It is very, very emotional. So, and, and you just wrote the book in 2020. 2020, I think, so. yeah, yeah, because it was just starting the pandemic, the pandemic. Yeah, it was 20, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what was that conversation like with your son when he, after you read it, and then, of course, you you had that conversation with him about the forward. How did that go? You know, I, I have to say, I, I I I didn't even know how to apologize. To be honest with you, I didn't know. I I just gave him a hug and say, sorry, yeah. that's it. But I I don't know. He's so good. He's a good boy and he's so wonderful. And um, I don't know. I think that trauma that he experienced that time is there. I don't think it's good to open and talk about it. But I think that sometimes uh, we have to own our actions and their consequences. And I think even though I didn't do it intentionally, but I think hopefully he's not going to do that to his to his family to his son to his daughter so i think that uh, the only thing i can see positive is we were able to take it out of our system and we didn't have to wait until my deathbed or maybe too late to to say hey you did this because i didn't have that opportunity with my dad you know and i was behaving even though i i, I had to say i didn't like the behavior of my dad and, and the book explains why um we never to terms even when he died i was not able to say there was never ever because he never accepted that he was had an issue it was always his way so we never had a closure and i think with my son the difference because i wrote the book i think we have a closure here because we're able Mm. to be open and talk about it it's beautiful it (laughs) is it's beautiful because it is very difficult right especially being in the parent role You've already suffered from your own trauma and your own pain and had to overcome. And, and we're going to get to, my God, like all the, the the Machu Picchu and the marathons, and like transforming your life and becoming a doctor and all of this adversity. And I, I'm, I have to mention that um, your father was a psychiatrist, yeah. which is a whole other layer of why this book is so impactful, because your father being a psychiatrist who, you know, is in the field of mental health and, and creating this, which I would assume, you know, so many parents create this like damage. They don't know it. They're not doing it intentionally, Absolutely. right? They don't understand all of the layers of harm that are underneath all of that. Correct. Correct. So, and I mean, it's funny you say your, your boy, he's such a good boy. He's a criminal justice attorney, like just saying. <laughs> right jordy like right like jordy is no joke like jordy's no joke, like, no. <laughs> I love very bright guy very bright guy so you you know growing up you know in spain and 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 moving to puerto rico and became a doctor and you had all of this you know you had this panic disorder and and you were not getting uh, diagnosed properly you had to really heal yourself what was that like for you it, it was tough because uh, um, again it's everything builds up to lower your self-esteem and it's just a vicious cycle uh, I particularly not having the support from my dad knowing that he's a psychiatrist 
he blamed it all everything on because I was carjacked and I started having my symptoms after being carjacked. And he just brushed it out. You're a, you're afraid because you're carjacked, you're behaving, you know, like I said, like sissy. Like, right. and then I go to all these ERs and the doctors look at me like I am completely, I don't know. It, it was just the most disgusting part of my early uh, encounter with the panic attacks that people look at you like like I'm 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 not a man, you know, period. And then at that, telling my wife and my girlfriend at that time to take me to the ER and being so vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, that was definitely, and I didn't know what was going on. I thought that I had a really a serious medical problem. I thought I was gonna I was dying. And nobody even mentioned, even my dad, oh those are anxiety attack, panic attack, nothing. And um, I have to, to do it on my own, reading books. That's the only way I was able to do it. Reading books. Reading books. Uh, reading books. Absolutely. So you then, I mean, there's such a journey, right? Yeah. Very hard to sum up in a podcast. That's yeah. why we're going to continue this conversation because I feel like there are too many things here to just conquer in one episode. But I want to talk about how well, first of all, books, I have learned more from reading books since I released my book than I could have ever imagined. Right. I, had, I had no idea that my own depression was linked to my trauma that exactly. I had experienced. I was told by every physician that I had a chemical imbalance. Yeah, It's what the psychiatrist told me. You have a chemical imbalance, so we're going to put you on 20 milligrams of Prozac. Yeah. I mean, even in the book, up until I, I, I didn't know that that wasn't what it was. Exactly. Exactly. So you and I have talked before, like there's more to come. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> right? This is almost like, this is like stage one. It's this one. That's right. <laughs> one. The story continues. <laughs> the story continues because one, this is like the, I really feel for me, I will just share for me and, and yeah. you will tell me if you identify with this. You know, I had to relive my trauma when I wrote my book, something that I really thought that I had what I'd like to say I'd overcome. I would tell everybody like, no, I'm good. You know, look at me. I'm resilient. I don't want to talk. Don't talk to me about that inner child bullshit. You know, yeah. I was tough. I was a New Yorker. Yeah. Um, I had, I had survived so much that I, I run medical practices. I work with physicians. Yeah. I'm fine. Writing that book and reliving yeah. all of that. I was like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. there's more work to be done. Good. So absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because right. I, I, again, it, and you you said it very correctly is that um, that is my issue with my oldest son. But I still have three more kids that I know I traumatize them <laughs> separately at different levels. Right. I can guarantee you that the only thing that they're a little bit less, um, they don't communicate that that well like Jordy does to express their feelings. So I think that if I get one by one, we're going to have a different. Uh, conversation with each one right i have to say i put pressure on them or all of them because of my insecurities really yeah but we don't and and we don't i'm not making excuses for you but we don't know the damage that we've done like i never thought until i talked to my brother like i shared with you before my brother thought that i went away to computer school when i was in rehab (laughs) um which i thought was cute to hear but i didn't realize how much what i had been through and what I had done affected my siblings. Right. I knew it affected my parents. Yes. Yes. But I didn't feel like almost bad of how it must have affected them because as I have learned post writing the book from Dr. Gabor Mate, that um we're we parent our children differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? like I said, when you're born, they don't give you a, a handout, an instruction book, how to be a parent. Then all of a sudden you become a parent and you don't have a, and then you have all your issues that you have with your other, with your parents. And now do you, how do you manage this thing? So I, it's tough. I have to be, you know, that the good thing about writing the book and expressing your feelings and telling them, so they understand you a little bit better now. Say, so, oh, that's what my dad did that because he was struggling with this. Yeah, they understand. Yeah, totally. But you know what you did with your son was so powerful, and was that the conversation started? That there is more understanding. Correct. There is more empathy. That there is more opportunity to grow more. That you, God, how many people wait until somebody's deathbed? Absolutely. 
That is that's my whole point. And that's why I think that by doing it, as a matter of fact, I always um have this thing once a year. I write my own eulogy just to check and see, okay, did I do what I was supposed to do? And if not, then I put it as a priority. So I think that forces you to confront the day that you're gonna be gone or when you die, that you don't want to have any regrets, really. You don't want to have regrets. Yeah. And why not live a life where you can say the things? Because it's such a shame, right? It's such a shame that people wait until the end yeah. um, to, to say the most paramount things where you could just shift your whole relationship. I'm sure there was a, a seismic shift of your relationship with your son yeah. after that conversation. Absolutely. I'm going to fast forward to Tony Robbins and Pope John Paul II. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to go right there. I loved so. I watched the Tony Robbins movie. I, I'm always very into anybody that is self-help. So I, I understand yeah. what happened to you. Like you were like, this is it. This, I'm going to get these tapes. And you said you got tapes, right? They were oh, tapes. They were tapes. And I remember that night, you know, those infomercials at night time at two o'clock in the morning and you're in, the, in deciding, okay, do I, pay? and at that time, $200 for me was a lot. And then I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And I didn't tell my wife I didn't want this because I, I felt ashamed. But then once I got it, just I think because of the pressure that I paid the, the money, I said, I'm going to do the 30 days. I, I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm just going to. And that's the best, the best thing I did in my life. I, that man changed my life, I have to say. I know that people judge him and all that, but that guy changed my life completely. <laughs> I want to talk about that. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Tony Robbins, you have never met him. I never met him. And, and he the changed is, your life. That is the biggest, right? Yeah. Think about that. You've never met this man and he changed your life. Darren, I did a, a goal setting session with him during, with one of those take 20, I don't remember how many years. I think it was almost 30 years ago. And the thing is to this day on that goal setting, I, I wrote my house and my house right now meets all the, the check marks there. Oh so my, my house was designed 30 years or 15 years before I built it. Unbelievable. <laughs> it but the thing is, you know what happened? I think I wrote in the book, Tony Robbins gave me so much power to change superficially, unfortunately. that And that's the issue here. Yes, you can change superficially. You still have your scars and your issues in, internally. But then that power too can be used for evil too, for bad things, unfortunately. Yeah. So you can do it for good, but you can use it for bad because it's so powerful that you can accomplish anything if you put it in your head and you and you take action. So that's that's the the thing with with this type of motivational speaker that they're so powerful that they have to be careful because people can use that for the wrong reason, the wrong 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 purpose. Yeah. Right. And so what you what you're referring to is you know you transformed your whole body. You transformed oh, every, not just your body, but that's where it started. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 that was I mean, the first time that he told me nothing is impossible. Yeah. You can accomplish whatever you want if you really want. And, and he tells you how to do it. You know, all those exercises, all the, he's so powerful in terms of the way he talks. I have done like, a, I think four uh, 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 fire walks with him because every time I learn something with him, every time, every time. That's amazing. So why don't you tell the audience how many um, physical, well, first of all, you transformed your whole body. Why don't you tell the audience about how you did that? Well, the thing is that when I, I, I was close, I, I think it was before my 40th birthday, I said, I, I, I need to do something. I'm not comfortable in my body. I'm just overweight. And I'm, you know, and in my life, in my, in my mind, I always thought that the six facts were just genetic. That right. you were born like that. And if you don't, you were not born like that. It's impossible. I was just not genetically gifted. But I, in my mind, again, because the Tony Robbins said, well, nothing is impossible. I think I can get it. So I start again, books and reading about anti-aging and all the things. So I decided for the first time in my life, I never joined a gym before my 40th birthday. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I decided, you know what? I'm going to start there. And um, I, I, Fortunately, I they give you a free um, 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 consultation like with their, their trainer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I met this guy and he transformed my life because he believed in me. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 you can do it. And he was the incredible coach. Again, that's why I believe so much in coaches and people who can guide you too, because 
they opened your eyes and said, hey, you can do it. And then all of a sudden, boom, I, I was able to do it. And, and that was amazing. It was hard work, uh, but it's doable. And I tell everybody, my patients or anyone who wants to do it, if you want to do it, we can do it. But it's going to take a lot of effort and work and, and sacrifice. And you need to know exactly why you want to do it. Totally. I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Valley Bank. To know that we have a bank that thinks so much about mental health in the workplace has made me so proud. Valley Bank is my bank for business and has been since the day I opened 10 years ago. When I was introduced to them, I was told that I was going to really like everybody that worked for the bank. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out they were right. I like everybody that works there. They are good people, nice people, and they care about others. They care about the community. But the thing I am most proud of is how they are welcoming the conversation about mental health in the workplace into their bank and willing to take that risk and talk about it in our community. Valley Bank is definitely forging the way in business to open up this conversation. If it wasn't for my father's employee assistance program back in the day, 28 years ago, I would not be on this podcast today. It just goes to show when you offer these resources to your company and to your team, Miracles can happen. I am one of them. So Valley Bank not only offers an employee assistance program to their staff and their team members, but they also send out these great vitality monthly communications, bi-weekly wellness resources, and they're willing to sponsor a podcast that is about mental health in life and in business. So if you have not connected with Valley Bank, I highly recommend you do. Well, if you've been listening or watching the show for a while, you know that I love nothing more than recommending a great book, a great podcast show, a great resource. And this book, Keep Kicking Frisco, Keep Kicking, is such a great book. And I highly, highly recommend it. So Dr. Torres in his mid-20s in his second year of med school was being rushed to the hospital, rushed to the ER. They didn't know what was going on with him. It turns out he was suffering from panic attacks and anxiety, but you know, the doctors, his own colleagues didn't know what to do with him. And Dr. Torres was forced to treat himself. So doctors always take a medical history and Dr. Torres' self-assessment was no different. And keep kicking Frisco, Torres describes what wacky journey of self-discovery can be like and sheds light on how the accumulated eccentricities of our upbringings shape the person we grow up to be. Mm -hmm. Panic attacks and all, everybody. So apart from this incredible family history story, the book aims to demonstrate how the lives of others intersect with our own and shape who we become. For those who suffer from anxiety, depression, and fear, Dr. Torres's story absolutely offers hope for the future and a blueprint of how to overcome the panic we sometimes face in our own lives. So check out the show notes, click on the link, get the book. You won't regret it. Keep kicking. So you did, uh, you went to, why don't you tell everybody about your trip to Machu Picchu? Oh, that was the story because again, um, I, I didn't consider myself an athlete at all. You know, we can change physically, but I was not really an athlete or anything. And, but I started, again, I, part of the weight loss for, for the six pack was running and running. I said, I, me with my mentality, I said, I cannot do things just average. I had to do something bigger. And so some, for some reason, I started saying, well, I read again that there was a Machu Picchu and that some people hike, but some people run and started looking into it. It took me at least five or six years of talking and looking at it, but never committed until one day I decided, hey, I'm going to do it. And then I connected with this group in, in Peru, which was wonderful. But unfortunately, we're high-end athletes. So I didn't know. I signed up with these people I didn't know. And and at the end, thanks God, I survived that. But it, it was a very interesting experience, really. Interesting. Incredible. Is incredible. Like incredible. Incredible. <laughs> incredible that you did it. Like, really and truly incredible. So, you know, I'm looking at your book right now because I, I made so many um, different notes 
you know, you go through talking about anxiety uh, through coronavirus and um, just about how people in the world who characterize mental health disorders and treatments in terms of this voodoo science and mm-hmm. an obscure excuse for human choices, that this couldn't be further from the truth. I'm reading directly from his book. Between our chemistry and our psychology, the challenges we each experience in our lives are different. And while our outcomes are not predetermined, we are predisposed to different things. The good news is that these realities don't mean our mental health disorders are hopeless. Yeah, and that's what I want to bring back here, because you mentioned about my dad being a psychiatrist, but it was a very unique psychiatrist. He always tell me not to go to psychiatrists. They were going to brainwash me. They're going to steal my ideas because he was paranoid. So it was so we had that fear to begin with that telling me that about a psychiatrist and then don't be open if you go to one or psychology because they're going to use that against you. So always afraid. And then my, my first experience with one of them that I decided to go was bad in immediately judgment and I, we didn't connect. What, what if I if I want somebody to learn something from the book is not to give up on the on the therapist because I really think that you have to match them me I found this incredible psychologist that we connected so well she understood we she let me gave me some room because I told her look I like to read a lot so she was open-minded it was not like the other one oh I know I am the psychiatrist you you have to listen to what I'm telling you and also, too, is that even though they believe in going to the past and trying to analyze, psychoanalyze you, um, this one, it was also a, like a practical. Okay, let's just remove this bad feeling about that particular emotion. Let's tr- change it to a positive one. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, 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 my advice, was because I was very discouraged about psychiatry, knowing my dad and all that, but I, I never gave up on that until I found the right one. Yeah, well, that is such an important message because, you know, when somebody asked me today for a reference to a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I mean, first thing I do is I just take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whew, like, all right, um, so many questions, like, who are you and who do you connect with and and what do what does make you feel better? Are you somebody that likes to walk? Are you, do you exercise? Do you have a good... Yeah nutritional plan um do you like medicine or do you are you more of an alternative there's so much and not everybody is going to connect with that first correct my parents um because i was raised in new york when i was 19 years old i think i was 19 they thought that i would be maybe i would connect with somebody that was like in manhattan that was like a tough you know yeah. Successful woman. And they took me to this woman. I'll never forget. Her name was Polly. Okay. And I, I walked out of there and I said, Polly want a cracker. Like, I don't want nothing to do with that woman. Cause she was so, she had so much class and she was yeah. from Park Avenue and she had all of this. She was me though. Yeah. And that's why they brought me to her. She had gotten, she had changed her whole life, but I wasn't anywhere near that at that moment. I could not connect with somebody that was like a success. I needed somebody that understood what it was like to have depression, to be an active uh, alcoholic that didn't feel good about my body. You know, I looked at this person and thought, you are nobody like I'm going to ever relate to. And I do think that it is such an important piece that we don't give up, that we make sure that we get the right help. Especially with guys, I have to say, being a guy, we kind of fight uh, the, the concept that I need somebody to fix me. You know, we, we think macho, you know, I can do it on my own. I, I, I'm supposed to be strong. And I think that, that that's something, a taboo that we have with the male. The, you know, I think women go easier to the therapist. I think they're more yeah. open to share their, their feelings. I think we guys tend to hide things. And I think that's why we have so much problem later on with alcohol, alcoholism, drugs and things like that. So that's oh, well, you're hundred percent right. I know. <laughs> you know, well, we'll, you know, women will go out and we'll talk about our feelings and, and cry and laugh and do all the things. And you guys will maybe talk about sports. Correct. Correct. But the thing is also we see negative. The fact that you see somebody going to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they, they start thinking, at least that's the way I thought. You're weak. You're weak. Yeah. You're weak, and you cannot take care of that on your own. You know, that's at least that's the way I was. A hundred percent, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is amazing when I see a man 
that is so in touch with his uh, feelings, I'm always like, oh my God, thank, like, don't you feel so much better? Like, don't you feel like you can do anything because you've been able to work out whatever trauma or whatever healing that you had to, it's, it's, it leads to such a, a better, a better life. But I want to get back to, um, I want to get back to some of these positive influences that you had in your life besides yeah. Tony Robbins. Yeah. I mean, why don't you tell the story of why you decided? Cause I love, you know, of course, probably like many people they're like, what is this? Keep kicking Frisco, keep kicking. Yeah. Exactly. But so, so that's why I wanted to start because it's funny because I thought that I was the only one who remember that. And then I asked my brother, he was at the pool when we were, when I was, when that happened, and he said, Oh, I remember that perfectly. Yeah. And it, it was that, you know, I was afraid of the water. My mom forced me to go to the, uh, to take swimming lesson, but she didn't stay there. She just dropped off and then she took, took off. And then I was there with my brother and I was terrified. And then this guy, I have to say, it's this, it's funny because I'm in Puerto Rico, you know, we're speaking Spanish. I don't, I don't even care about the English. And uh, all of a sudden when I go to the pool, it's this big, big uh, African-American military guy from, from California. And I was scared to hell because muscle all over. And then all of a sudden when he sees me in the water, you know, struggling, he starts saying, I'll oh, keep kicking Frisco, Frisco, because he wanted to call me like San Francisco. And I, mm-hmm. and I, I thought that because my name, my nickname was Kiko. And I said that you have it wrong. And then the bottom line, that boy is me struggling and trying to get out of the water. And he says, keep kicking Frisco. I use that as my mantra subconsciously, not at that time, but all my life for me. And that's why I wanted to name the book like that, because me kicking against all these others. Yeah, things psychological physical oh uh, you know that's that my story of my life just to keep kicking <laughs> i mean how powerful do you have any idea if he's still around no i don't know at all nothing about him <laughs> did you ever try to look him up no to be honest with you those are the classes that we went to uh it was a friend that they they were making a little bit of money by using their pool and they hired this guy too so i you know never we never have any connection or nothing like that isn't it amazing look at how many people have impacted your life and they have no idea no idea absolutely like that guy i don't know if he's alive or not but the thing is that he never again that's my my whole point is that sometimes our action changes the people life for good and for bad too for for both (laughs) yeah we have no idea what kind of impact we're having on somebody exactly exactly and then you the know, thing too for me was that at that time i didn't see it as a positive but it was negative because i hated right. that name. i really hated that name. all my life i just said don't call me frisco or you're gonna call me call me francisco or and so i i never liked it until i started figuring this out okay that's my mantra keep kicking keep kicking and you've done it your whole life no matter <laughs> what you keep kicking frisco keep i mean kicking. and it and the cover of the book, so this, I love this. So anybody that's listening and not watching isn't getting to see, um, it's such a great picture. And this is actually a picture of you. I yeah. mean, it's just so badass. I mean, you, exactly. <laughs> this little kid like smoking a cigarette exactly. uh, in a chair exactly. with his little sandals on. So and also, you know what is funny? Because with my, my turbulent relationship with my dad, my dad is the one who took that picture. Mm, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's deep, man. That's some yeah. deep stuff that we're we're gonna have to get into another time because that's it amazing. is kind of um, it is kind of uh, unbelievable how you had so much. Uh, that mantra is so powerful when you read this book because you have had so much adversity with your mom being so terrified of lightning, and I think about her, you know, being forced to have a you know be in the storms and living in Puerto Rico my god right and you understanding you just telling me about that patient that showed up that is just claustrophobic and I wonder why right like I wonder why we think about these things because we realize that every every the way somebody acts today is typically based on significant events in their lives that they have yet to go through correct right we're going to, we're going to get to that on another episode. All right. I want to go back to the book. So, um, I mean, you went to med school, you had the sister. Oh my goodness. I have identified some of these non-medical interventions throughout the book. Sister Marjoline, for example, who engaged Kiko during a turbulent adolescence. Tell us about 
sister? Well, I, it was, I was, you know, a private school, Catholic school, uh, uh, Bernadine sisters were, and then I, I was not doing great in school. I, I was struggling. Um, not that I was misbehaving. I just not, not doing well, uh, academically. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, one of the teachers was very angry and, you know, so we're just doing, a, a, you're not going to pass next grade and all that. So, uh, sister Marjolene, which you can tell that she had God with her. She's decided to say, I'm going to take care of you. And, and we fought it because I didn't want to speak English. She, won't, she didn't understand too much of Spanish. So we went back and forth. But she was so gentle. And, and she, I really, again, like I told you about my, my, my first aunt, Lotia Lola, who, who took care of me and then she died. Um, so she reminded me of that type of uh, uh, unconditional love. And I'm telling you, I, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I think that she rescued me at that particular time of not going. Because I think that, again, I, I don't know if it's right, I'm right or wrong, but I always felt that my parents didn't have too many too much hope with me. It was mm -hmm. my brother, the one who's going to be a doctor, and my brother was going to make it. You know, with me, oh, whatever you want to do, you know, like, you know, yeah. just survive. And I think that um, what I saw from Sister Marge, you know, was a deep care. I said, you have the potential. Mm -hmm. And I think I took that with me all my life. Oh, yes. When people believe in you, it can change everything. Love isn't manifested perfectly in our actions. I underline that one. Yeah. Uh, powerful story of trial and error. Click with the right therapist. I mean, that's obviously something that you feel so passionately about because you... Yeah, because I fought it so much, uh, Sharon. Yeah. I was so negative about... Uh, one of the reasons I, I love Tony Robbins, he was giving me shortcuts. You don't go to go to a psychiatrist. One of the things that he always said, you don't need to go to a psychiatrist and tell him the whole story and say that you were like that. We can cut, you know, let's just go to the, the things that we like that neuro-linguistic uh, conditioning and all those yeah. things. So I kind of was attracted to that. But deep inside, it was not until I got the right uh, uh, therapist. Uh, that's what really forced me to, 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 to say, let me just fix the inside, not just the outside. Yeah, because... All right. Well, before I get to this, this book is about hope that life can get better and that there is no single route to happiness and peace. As Benjamin Franklin said, keep in the sunlight. So I circled this um, keep in the sunlight, because as I mentioned before, I was on an, I was on an airplane when I was finishing this book and I circled it because the sun was shining bright on the plane right onto this page when I read it that's awesome isn't that so awesome absolutely I mean I, I that's what I even drew a sun oh that's fantastic so I could show you because it was so you know it was so beautiful mm -hmm. and it was also beautiful that your friend the psychiatrist yes. wrote in the end of this book. Can you talk to me about your friend? This uh, afterward, Louis Franco. Franco. Yeah, Dr. Franco, he, he had been a really good friend since uh, medical school, but we lost touch. Uh, he moved somewhere else. And, and then we ended up here by, all you know, we, we, we reconnected and has been my close and my best friend. He's a great, great uh, individual, bright, bright psychiatrist. And one of the things that is funny, and I, I mentioned that in the book and I, I connected with you from your book is that I, if I'm not mistaken, you were the middle, a middle child. I was a middle yeah. child. And then yeah. my uh, Dr. Franco Luis explained me that middle child syndrome. And I said, oh my goodness, really? And so I see there's things that can be predicted because we are the middle child. So I, again, it's just the, you know, the, the, the things that you don't know until you discuss that with somebody and say, oh yeah, definitely that, that, that that is me so right and that's why you say um in your book that the last thing you know it's just this provocative thoughts which i, I just want to mention yeah. these thoughts are living breathing and changing every time you read them here you'll find a series of questions vignettes ideas frustrations and observations meant primarily to inspire both action and reflection growth has no end and this book is not the destination. Correct. That, that's what my other book, The Provocative Thought. Those are those ideas that I put together from 10 years. Every, I like to write and I do a little bit of blogging and all that. 
So I said, why well, don't put all of them together? Because there are funny stories, everything entertaining. So, but I think there always there is something to learn from each yeah. one. Oh my God, yes, totally. Because instead, it is it is the starting point for me and you. Absolutely. And I love that you dedicated um, this book to your mom, yeah. um, and and that you've gone through all of this. You know, and listen, we, I love. We've barely talked about how you became a successful doctor. <laughs> Like, it's like a big it's, it's unbelievable all of the adversity that you've gone through but it doesn't matter where we are what stage of our lives that we are in when you decided to write this book I'm going to make an assumption here but I'm going to just assume that it changed your whole life absolutely the thing is that you have to confront again it's just a the for me it's just a process of um uh, I think understanding your, why you did things, why, and then also having other people from the outside telling you, oh, you were doing this. And then you say, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was behaving that way. And this is the reason I was behaving. And I think it's, again, I, it, and, it's, and I don't know if that, that's, this has happened to you, Sharon, but all my life I'm trying to be the opposite to my, of my dad. And all of a sudden, when my, my son starts writing that, I said, I was becoming my dad, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to not to, to be him. I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to be completely uh, very supporting all that. And look, look what happened. Look what I did. I still have that narcissism that my, my dad had. Um, so again, we're, we're, if we're not conscious of the problem, we're never going to fix it. And uh, that's the thing is just understanding what's going on in my mind or in my myself so i can make correction again the whole thing is just to be sure that we can amend whatever we're not doing right but also grow what we're doing right Mm. i'm taking that in (laughs) i'm taking it in what you're saying i think it is uh so powerful i don't think that we could ever really heal until we understand where we came from and why we are the way that we are. Like I said to you before, I had no idea that my trauma was linked to my depression. Yeah. I really didn't. Nobody ever, nobody ever told me. Yeah, They told me I had a chemical imbalance and that I just needed to stay sober, but I didn't understand if I was now I'm sober, but I want, now I want to kill myself. So why is this happening? And it wasn't until, and I think that the, the thing that I love that I didn't understand the first time somebody said it to me, but the pain was necessary. Correct. That the people think about like suffering is necessary for, for you to understand how strong you are and how you can correct whatever is hurting. But if we don't experience pain, we'll never know, you know, what is how how we're gonna approach when that happens. So that's I think that's a necessary emotion that we have to experience, unfortunately. And the generations, um, you know, my generation, my parents' generation, it's always been about, we don't talk about this. Correct, correct, correct. It's like when, again, with my, when I was young in Spain, that my dad, my, my, my aunt, she was diagnosed with cancer and at that time didn't say anything. They thought it was contagious. It was a bad thing. The doctors hide it. And, and so they were not even open to this, to say farewell to somebody who already have cancer. So I think that thanks God that we continue to evolve and, and start to learn and, and grow. But that kind of mentality, that's why I don't blame my mom from being so um, anxious and so messed up. It's just the, the way that they, they that she was brought up. Yeah. But, you know, and we have the opportunity now to break the chain. Yeah. Right. To break the generational trauma. I would have, in a million years before I wrote this book, I don't even think I would have ever even said those two words together. Exactly. Exactly. I, I remember seeing this one woman in particular, and um, and then I want to talk more about the uh the generations and and how we can we can by healing ourselves we can heal other people in our lives and and have these conversations like you were able to have with Jordy, you know. Awesome from our own reflection, our own accountability and yeah. see where we were wrong yes. and be willing to make amends for that and, and changing. Um, I think that it's so vital that we're all, um, we all look how we have to look inward. We have to look inward. We, we can't blame. It doesn't mean just because of where we, how your mother treated you or how your father treated you. We can't, 
for the rest of our lives, give them a pass. Correct, correct, correct. But then, that, but that, that, but on the other hand, too, Sharon, is that I cannot, you know, I, I think it was also negative to try to not, to try to not to be my father, you know, to always run away from that and see him negative. I think I, I could have done better by learning because he had good good qualities. Yes. And that all of a sudden everything's negative, negative. You want to run away from that, but again, when I unfortunately I didn't have the opportunity to have this discussion with my father when we he died, we were not in good terms. Um, so again, you have that inside of you that that you could have done better and be a better man, but unfortunately, I didn't have it at that time. <laughs> And, we, and you know we all make mistakes we yes. all learn sometimes we, we it takes a, a very long time but I will end uh with this you know they have that phrase that's uh hurt people hurt people that's just not true you know hurt people that don't heal hurt people absolutely right so I, I wrote part, part of that one of the chapters about the guilt I grew up with guilt Catholic obviously guilt 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 but my brother who was in the same family could care less about the guilt so I think that we make a decision. We have control. Like I said, I, oh, you're a product of a guilty. That's why you have your panic attack. But my brother who care less about the guilt. He just said, I'm right. And that's it. So I think it's just the way we, we take that. So it's, unfortunately, yeah. we, we don't know that. But I think we have, I, again, with the book, the one I want to say that you have power to change. I think that's that when I say hope, is that it's not hope. It's that you do have the power to change. It may take you a lot of effort, a lot of, therapy a lot of reading but you have the the capacity to change right you just have to make a choice to do it correct correct oh but look goodness. at you you know you change because you know either you're going to be dead or or you change so uh, again you have to make the decision at that point man thank god for tony robbins absolutely <laughs> right and that guy says, I'm telling you, I, I, and I don't get paid. By saying right? This. I know. He's my doing goodness, fine, right? by the way. It was, oh, my goodness. But he's, like I said, he, uh, what he does, not everybody can do that. Talking about different therapists, he has the personality, he has the charisma. Oh, he, but if you try to do the same thing he does, I think it's not going to go well. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And he's got a gift, you know, we all oh, have he has a gift. unique gifts. Absolutely. Well, oh, I'm so grateful. Um, I can't wait to have uh, part two. I appreciate you having this conversation during, in my opinion, one of the most important months, Mental Health Awareness Month. It's um, a, a privilege and an honor to be able to have a conversation with one of my new favorite authors. Um, uh, Dr. Uh, Torres will be bringing out his book on Audible in the future. So everybody will be able to listen to it and read it. Um, it is available on Amazon. Uh, the way you can get to the book is in the show notes. And uh, I just want to thank you for putting your story out into the world, because I think just like me, you know, if we can help one person, then then we've lived a pretty successful life, right? Absolutely, Sharon. And you have done a great job with your book. I have to say, it, it touched me. Thank Deep. you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Okay, thank you. Don't forget to check out Valley Perry for all your banking needs. They are supporting mental health in the workplace and beyond. Thank you, Valley. Don't forget to check out Keep Kicking Frisco. Keep kicking. You won't regret it. Link in the show notes.